Hello and welcome to Rich in Relationship. And today we are interviewing Alexandra Geske from Geske Family Law in Dallas, Texas. They are dedicated to, is it freeing women from toxic relationships? Did I get that right? It's freeing women from toxic relationships. Yes, yes. Freedom is a big thing, a big uh, theme in my life. So um, I have that passion. That's kind of the passion that drew me to doing all this that, uh, that now I transfer into the firm. Terrific. So tell us how freedom became this sort of passion that you're that's driving your firm. People love well, origin stories. We want to hear your, how did the superhero <laughs> Alexandra Geske come out? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't say it was that exciting, but um, so my parents are immigrants. So they came from uh, formerly Czechoslovakia, emigrated here to the U.S. or immigrated emigrant. I can never remember the difference. And they came here uh, back in the 60s when they had all these revolutions and stuff, mm -hmm. um, fleeing an oppressive communist regime, right? And so they settled here. Um, they had me. They had my sister. I have a younger sister, too. And so it was always a theme in our life about you know, freedom, appreciating freedom, um, making sure that you maintain personal responsibility so that you can always maintain your own resilience and your freedom and all right. that. And so um, that has just was always something I always want to be very independent. I never wanted, you know, anyone to control me. I never, you know, I was always very, um, just very self-sufficient. And so this line of freedom. And so becoming a lawyer was really um, I actually wanted to be a science scientist. I um, majored in zoology. I was thinking about doing a master's degree in marine biology or neurobiology or something and uh, ended up veering into law school instead. And um, I loved it. I loved how you can use words to advocate for people and to change people's minds and make things happen. And so when I uh, started my firm, it started off as sort of a general family law practice, but then more and more I started realizing that as a woman, and then as I became a mother, I really wanted to support women and support moms uh, in what they do. And I found that a lot of them were not living the most fulfilling life that they possibly could because they were stuck in like sort of a cage in these toxic relationships. And so- that that freedom to free them from these relationships, educating them, empowering them so that they can go live a better life. So it sounds like this this drive uh, for self-sufficiency and freedom and independence and helping other women with self-sufficiency, independence and freedom came really from your parents who who like through major effort and I'm sure many challenges found their way to this country from a very oppressive environment. Yes, they did. Um, actually, at one point, um, I think uh, the the wall had, or the gates had uh, opened for a few months back in 66, 68, around that time when they came here. And my father actually came pursuing an educational opportunity. And um, when they uh, locked everything down after that revolution, then um, they were asked to come back. But my dad wasn't quite finished with his degree. And my mom had just joined him and they kind of set up this life and they were like, well, we can't, we can't come back right now. Like give us a little time. And they said, well, if you come back, guess what? We're going to throw you in jail. So yeah. they actually, what an offer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was like, all right, I guess we're staying um, and making the best of it. So at least they told them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. They had to ask for, you know, uh, what is it? Asylum and all that good stuff. And we still have the letter, you know, from back from way back when they used to type stuff. Um, so it's, Yes, I, I remember having a typewriter. Yeah, yeah. So they had to do, you know, they did their 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 time. They, you know, 
made sure that they became naturalized citizens. They were very responsible about it. I guess they, they waited to have kids until they made sure that they wouldn't be uh, the threat of deportation and all that stuff wasn't on them. And so they um, then they settled down, had a family, made a really great life and really instilled some really great values in us. Got it. Yeah. And so that has blossomed into freeing women from toxic relationships. And you know, as someone who works with people who are in conflict as couples, and also I do a lot of work with individuals who are uh, reestablishing who they are when they, as they emerge from a toxic relationship, because toxic relationships can be totally enmeshing and you can really lose your sense of self in it. Yes. Uh, I completely identify with the concept of freeing people, you know, because uh, you, you don't, these, these folks, they don't know it, but they are, they are in a kind of bondage. Yes. Uh, let's talk more about that. So, you know, it's, it's the pandemic right now as we do this and, it, you know, this will come out during the, as we emerge out of the pandemic uh, and what's been going on in the environment is this, we're this new term sort of forced intimacy where we're locked in with people and, you know, in a toxic relationship, you might get by sort of developing an outside life. And then when you go home, just dealing with the oppression, but in this environment, yeah. a lot of that's being cut off. So I would imagine that's generating you know, a lot of explos explosivity. I'm looking for the right adjective. It's, it's probably generating a lot higher conflict. So what are you seeing out there? You know, it's been really interesting. Um, so one, we saw kind of two two extremes uh, this past year. So we saw a big boom in um, in the summer. Uh, we basically doubled the number of cases coming in just because of the conflict. Um, and then what was really interesting was uh, towards the holidays, I think a lot of people started getting scared. We had a record number of reconciliations. Uh. So uh, normally we may see one or two reconciliations, maybe once a year, every other year. This year, I think in the last few holiday months, maybe starting in October, November through uh, January, we saw about seven reconciliations. I mean, we were like, what's going on? Um, and talking to some of our clients and kind of getting feedback is they're terrified. They, they feel that there's badness coming our way and they think it's just better. Let's, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to try to make this work. Um, you know, it's those sort of, um, those thoughts that keep you stuck in that place. And it's, it's better the evil, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So those are kind of two big, uh, big things that we saw. What are um, the characteristics of a toxic relationship? Um, you know, I think that, when you have someone who cares about you and loves you, they're going to support you. They're going to encourage you. You know, it may not always be rainbows and cotton candy, right? But it's going to be someone who's going to give you strength rather than make you feel weak. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be that person who can see when you need a support, when they know you're in a bad mood and they're, they're wise enough to see that it's not them, it's a place that you're in and they can just put their arm around you and say, look, I don't know whatever it is you were going through, I can be here for you, whatever you need, right? That's, that's I think, a healthy relationship. I think, Absolutely. When have, yeah, when you have someone who is using those opportunities when you're down as an opportunity to keep digging at your self-esteem, that's toxic, right? Um, someone who makes you feel like you're not a priority, that's toxic. Um, makes you think 
stay in this place of being fearful of everything, afraid to leave, afraid what's going to happen to the kids, afraid to leave the kids with them, you know, all those things, that's not healthy. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm hearing like, I'm, the first thing you described sounded a lot like partnership. You know, yes. when, when you're partners, you, you really have each other's backs and you support one another and you're very rarely going to tear each other down. And But if you do, it's going to be like a tough love thing and you're going to be very like careful about it because you care about the other person and you don't want to hurt them. And on the other hand, maybe they've got something going on that just like a, they're in some kind of denial or something that needs to be, they, they need to look at or whatever. But when you're in a toxic relationship, you're a prisoner. Yes. In essence, or, or a vassal. And that person is doing everything they can to maintain a power imbalance and make sure that you, everything's moving in the direction that they want it to move in a partnership. You have shared vision in a toxic relationship. It sounds like from what you're saying, um, the, other, the other person is dominant. And, and it isn't just that they're dominant, they're destructive about it. They yeah. are belittling. They are uh, destructive of your own concept of self so that your concept of self yeah. somehow becomes you lose a sense of who you are without them and it becomes harder and harder to pull away. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely the latter part that I would focus on because I think that you can have relationships with these dominant, less dominant, right? Like that's roles that people can, that's, if it works for your partnership, that's great. But I think when it becomes toxic is when it becomes detrimental to your own self-worth. Yeah. And what do you, yeah. what is the, in your experience, what's the impact on the children in relationships like that? Because I, I think that's, for, you know, when you lose your sense of self, maybe the only thing that helps you go, WTF, I got to get out of here, is when you see what's happening to your kids. Yeah. Um, so being a firm where we represent almost exclusively women, um, a lot of what I hear is um, I, I want to stay in the marriage for the children. And so it's having a dialogue about that. Like, really, what, why are you really, why is it so important for the, for you to stay in here in this marriage for the children? Like, thinking about what is it that the children are seeing? What are you afraid? Because if you're in this relationship where they're watching you guys fight all the time, mm -hmm. they're watching, you know, I'm going to make a generalization here, but they're watching that, you know, your husband, your, their father tear you down in front of them. Mm -hmm. If they're watching, there's no um, like positive emotional stuff going on, no hugging and affection, right? Like, what do you think you're teaching them by continuing to stay there? You're teaching them that it's okay to belittle women and it's okay to belittle their mom. And so when they start sassing and being more aggressive towards you, where do you think that came from? Where they learned that it's okay to do that? Mm -hmm. As they go out into the world, if, if there's physical abuse and, you know, they've seen it, you know, oftentimes what we see is that the daughters believe it's okay to be abused and the, the sons will continue to abuse. Mm. Um, you know, we just recently had a situation where a mom had stayed in the marriage for about 30 or 40 years. She's, you know, what we call a silver divorce. Um, coming out of the marriage, she's like, I'm done. I raised the kids. She had four kids. Um, and she told us, yeah, one of my sons, he beats his wife. And it's just because my husband did the same to me. He grew wow. up. It's okay. And, and, you know, so it's just perpetuating that cycle of abuse. But even when it's not that extreme, you're showing them how that they're going to be in their adult relationships with their their spouses right they're not going to show affection they may create more conflict they won't know how to communicate they don't know how to express their emotions you're suppressing all of that by staying when you could be giving them a vision of a happier mom and dad really mm -hmm. so we 
pull that couple apart, they can each be happy, right? It's not just the, the one person being happy. Like everybody could actually be happier. You know, divorces, divorce could actually be a way to love each other by letting go of that relationship so that you can both be happy and show your kids that it takes courage. It takes resilience and you did it. And you guys can be more happy and present when you're in their lives. And then as a result, they can grow into happier adults. Yeah, no, I, as you speak, I'm thinking about a client I have who had a very narcissistic husband. So you know, you know, the, the problem with narcissistic is we tend to talk about people like they're all these extreme monsters and narcissism is really a scale. So on a, on a scale of one to 10, he might've been an eight. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't quite Adolf Hitler, you know, but he, like, which might be a 10, but he was, he was pretty high up there. Um, and she divorced him because specifically because she saw their son starting to act towards her and other people the way her husband was. And that just, she, re she suddenly realized like, this is not okay. And as she came out of it, we did work together and she figured out that part of how she'd gotten into that marriage is she grew up in an environment that was her parents treated her in a diminutive way. And so it just felt natural that her husband would, you know, and their par her parents modeled the same relationship that she was in. And so she, she got all clear on that and realized that she really didn't want that. She, and, but she wanted her son to have a relationship with this guy, but she was terrified that he would still become like her. And so the, the big challenge for her was to teach him, her son, how to deal with people like her husband without pointing fingers at him, because yeah. that's what he would do. What he would say is, your mom is such a da-da-da-da-da and you shouldn't be like her. And that's not what she wanted to teach him. So first she yeah. had to equip her son how to deal with narcissists in a very general way. But also what started to happen was he started to change, right? I mean, he went from being an eight to maybe being a seven. And then oh, a wow. couple of months later, he dropped down to a six. Now he never really got off this. As far as I know, he's never really gotten off the scale. He's still got stuff going on, but his behavior towards her at least started to change as her sense of self and the boundaries she set got clearer. So it's the fear that you're going to get out of it and he's still going to be Genghis Khan, you know, that actually isn't even grounded. I mean, the relation, as you change, the relation, the relationship changes and the way they relate to you changes. They still might be very self-centered, but they might be less abusive depending on if you're the, if you're the person who's being freed by Alexandra, you know, the, the, more, the clearer you get about who you are and the clearer about the boundaries you set, the less likely you are to be abused by that person and have a more workable relationship. Well, and I think it's interesting that you say that because um, I wonder if it was him changing or it was her changing and her perception of the relationship. Even. I think it's both. I think it's her changing and his reaction to the changes she's going through mm. because she wouldn't permit him to interact mm. with her the way that she had because he didn't have an opening for that. He had to, he had to change the way he talked to her. You know, so part of it, part of it is just, look, I will not let you talk to me in a diminutive way. For a long time, she wouldn't talk to him except by email or text message. And that would all be recorded on an app so that she could give it to a judge kind of thing. Well, anyway, enough about her. So you're well, no, on this you mission and you're seeing a lot of this good stuff. Yes. And actually you do bring up a really good point about teaching people coping skills because when they are married to narcissistic personalities, even if they're undiagnosed, right, or high conflict personalities, 
one of the key things I think a woman going through divorce can do for herself and for her children is to invest in a therapist or a coach or somebody that can help her learn these coping skills because that is really going to be a big key and a big part of her success after the divorce. So it sounds like a lot of the folks you work with have that going on. We, we partner with a lot of therapists and coaches to help our clients through that. We obviously are just a law firm and, and help the legal process, but our holistic approach includes being able to recognize when our clients need that and then referring them to the right people to help them accomplish that. That's fantastic. So um, how can people find you, by the way? Um, I mean, in this environment, I would imagine anyone in Texas could work with you. Yes. Yes, that's true. Actually, we have helped many clients around the state of Texas, um, especially now with the virtual. Even before COVID, uh, we had helped clients uh, in many of the major cities. But um, especially now, it just makes it, and we do collaborative law, which is even more uh, more able to be worked virtually, um, which is great. So many opportunities. But to answer your question about uh, where to find us, familylawdfw.com. Uh, that is our main website. We also have familylawforwomen.com. Mm -hmm. uh, so go to either of those and you should land on our page and uh, have some guidance there as to uh, how you want your journey uh, to begin with us. And we'll have both those links up on the, uh, on the podcast page and the video blog page so that however you're viewing this or hearing this so that you can access it. You don't have to be writing down desperately. So what advice, if, if someone's listening to this and this is really resonating with them in some way, what advice would you give them as first steps? Um, educate yourself. So a lot of our clients are often in the process of making the difficult decision of whether or not to divorce and they're afraid of the next steps. And so we offer a lot of webinars, e-guides on our website that can help that first step of what are my rights? You know, what should I be doing right now to prepare, to prepare myself? I think a lot of women are surprised to find out that you don't have to, just because you're thinking about divorce does not mean you have to actually file for the divorce. Just because you go talk to a lawyer does not mean that you have to jump into a divorce. We actually focus a lot on pre-divorce planning um, and helping our clients kind of think through the strategy, what are we going to do, and then making it, it ends up making the divorce process a lot easier. But I think the first step to begin with is educate yourself so that you're not afraid because that fear is really that cage that's coming down. And when you find out what your rights really are, when you find out how things, the process really works, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. You're going to feel much more confident. You're going to feel better about the whole thing. I think that's amazing advice. You know, as you said that, I had this image of, you know, you're in this uh, very restrictive marriage. It's kind of like being in jail or a concentration camp or something. And you're you're trying to figure out how to get out, but you know that if you try to get out and the first move is wrong, it's going to get really bad. So you want to think, you want to make sure that when you make your move, you've got everything laid out in advance. And actually, when I think about that client I was, that I was talking about, that's exactly what she did before she said anything to her husband. She made sure she had a lawyer. She made sure he had an apartment. She made sure she had a job she had everything in place. And then, and then she signed the lease, paid the lawyer and, and said, by the way, I'm leaving. And, and she, and like, she was gone and he was just totally what, you know? So yeah, planning is key. Planning is key. You know, she didn't go to him and say, I think you're an abusive jerk. Like that, yeah. that, that was not the starting point. 
No, no, definitely. Sometimes when the husbands get tipped off about that, they'll start hiding assets. They'll start, um, they'll go under the guise of reconciliation. Oh no, let's work it out. Like even after they come to us, sometimes they'll be like, oh, pause. My husband is just, he's changed. He's after 20 years, he suddenly had a change of heart. Now he's going to be really good to me. And so we warn them like, hey, a lot of guys will spend these next couple of months sort of making it really difficult. They're all of a sudden going to become number one dad, right? They're going to all of a sudden assets will start disappearing and moving around. You'll, he's going to lock you out of things, right? So be very, very careful um, when you're doing that. So what part of planning is being strategic, right? Mm, yeah. Strategic in how you approach things. Before so. you act. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it sounds like you have some great information for people to find that and they'll find that on the website. Yes, definitely. We've got a, a free resources tab, I think, that you just click on and we've got videos, we've got e-guides. Um, Terrific. Yeah, a lot of info. So as we near the end here, what is the legacy you'd like to leave behind? Oh, so you know the saying, and I may not get it right, um, uh, you know, when you go camping and you want to leave the campsite cleaner than when you got there. So it's a sort of the same thing. I'm, I'm so grateful for this life that I have and um, that I get to live it. Right. And so I want to leave a legacy behind where I have left the world a better place than when I came into it. So that's beautiful. Yeah, I love that. So All right. that's, that's, that's my mission. So there you go. I got it. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we, we should do this again. Like, I think, I think you could do a whole podcast just on the, you know, the getting out of the prison piece. Like, I think that is a podcast in itself. We should do, if you want, we I, should do that again soon. I would love to collaborate with you. Um, yep. And we actually have another lawyer on our team that I think would be a great fit for you guys as well. So I would love for you to meet him and we could collaborate on something. Cool. I would love yeah, anyone from your team is welcome. All right, everyone, have a great day. And thank you so much, Alexandra. Great to see you. All right, bye. Thanks.